1 Kings chapters 12, start reading in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer the people? And they said to them, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king said, Come to me again on the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel of the old men given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shalonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord, and they went home again, according to the word of the Lord. 
Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of the people will turn again to their lord, to Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to them, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. And he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he made. He went up to the altar that he made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth, at the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. You may be seated. Would you pray with me here? Father in heaven, thank you for this day and, and for your word. God, I thank you that uh, you have spoken to us in the last few minutes from your word. And uh, many of us, um, most if not all of us, God, um, I, I know they were seeing things and hearing things from your word that, that stood out to them. And like my pastor said when I was just a boy, that is the Holy Spirit working through the word of God to open your eyes so that you can see and so that you can understand. And God, I pray that as we continue to study the word together today, that we would see and understand your word and behold your works and just wonder in amazement of who you are, God, and that you are a God who gives rest. Um, and we just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, so good to see all of you here today. Thank you for coming and joining us here on Sunday morning at Central Baptist Church. My name is Samuel. Glad to be bringing the Word of God to you today out of 1 Kings chapter 12. And the question I want to open with for us today is, how do we find rest? How do we find rest? Maybe you're like me and you found that the more tired you get, you cannot stop thinking about this question. Uh, Nolan and I uh, trained for a half marathon this, this past spring, and I can tell you there were, there were days on those long runs, like eight miles, nine miles, ten miles into this thing, that I, I, I could not stop thinking about that question. Or When is this going to stop? When is there going to be some rest here, right? The more tired you get, the more exhausted, the more that it just, it's overcoming, it's overwhelming to think about it, that we need rest. Now, our family... Uh, the Nelson family, we always take vacation in the summer months, June, July, August, somewhere in there. We, we uh, take leave and we leave Kansas City and we we're go in search of rest. And I always know when it's about that time of year to take a vacation because I start thinking to myself day in and day out, 
man, I really need a vacation. Any of you guys feel like that? Some of you feel like that year round. Anyway, but um, we feel like we need that vacation. Another way that I find rest personally is by taking spiritual retreats. Um, Maybe once a quarter, I try to get out of Kansas City for about 48 hours so that I can spend time resting. And on these retreats, I will sleep in as long as I want. I'll take a nap during the day. I'll spend a lot of time in, in reading the Bible and praying. And through that time of intentionally getting away and resting, I, I find so much rest for my soul and for my body. And we need rest for our bodies. We need rest for our souls. God reminds us of that every 24 hours, right? We have to spend some of that time sleeping. We just can't keep up. We've got to rest. It's frustrating even, isn't it? But you need to rest. Rest is actually a, a good thing. And, and uh, it was built into creation from the beginning. And I want you to see that. You can hold your place in 1 Kings. But I do want you to see that even from the very beginning of time, rest was a part of God's design. So go back to Genesis chapter 2. I'll show you these verses. Genesis, first book in your Bible, chapter 2. Listen to what God says as he finishes creation here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he he rested. Uh, The Hebrew word is there that he Sabbathed. So he took a Sabbath day. God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God Sabbath or he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we can see from the beginning, even before the fall, that rest was part of God's good design. It's a good thing. God always wanted humanity from the beginning, even before sin, to experience this closing of our eyes, slowing down, our bodies shutting down, going to rest, waking up, feeling refreshed. It's God's idea. But something that I've never noticed until this week is that when sin entered the world, it intensified our need for rest. And it took away some of our opportunity to rest. So go with me to the next page or so in your Bible to Genesis 3. And we'll see that when sin came in the world, it intensified our need for rest. And it also took away some of the opportunity to rest. In Genesis 3, verse 16, this is after the man and the woman took the fruit, broke God's law, and then God came in the garden looking for them to talk to them about uh, the sin they committed. In verse 16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. Now, this is the consequence for their sin. Okay, this is the the effects of the curse. And it says here that a woman would have pain in her labor. It would be painful, exhausting, or labor-intensive to have a child. That's why after, after a woman gives birth, what does she always do? 
She rests, she sleeps, it's painful, it's hard. Also, the, the fall produced strife. Remember there in the verse 16, it says to the woman, your desire will be contrary or it will be against your husband and he will rule over you or dominate or he will try to control you. And so there's strife where there's a lack of rest and peace in marital relationships. And every husband and wife can attest to the fact that it's exhausting to have strife and tension in your marriage, right? Nothing exhausting like getting into a big, long argument with your spouse. That's a result of the fall. It intensifies our need for rest. Now look at what God says to Adam. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face. See that? The hard work, Adam. It's going to be hard now. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. You are dust and to dust you shall return. Adam, from now on, because of your sin, the ground is not going to cooperate. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard work for you to stay alive. And you are going to have to work yourself into the ground. Literally, is what God says here to Adam. Work, 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 Adam. You can see how sin took away some of our opportunity to rest. We would no longer be able to walk into the garden, pluck a peach, from a tree, eat it, lay down, take a nap. That sounds like paradise to me. <laughs> I love pieces. I love taking naps. Just no extra work. Just go in there, take the food that you need to eat. That's the work that you have to do. But after the curse, it's not going to be easy anymore. Thorns, thistles, hard work. And we will work, work, work until we have no strength left to work. Don't you feel this? Listen, tune in with me here. Do you feel this in your lives? The, the work factor, the need for rest. And no matter how much you work, you always feel like there's more that has to be done and you can never get to it all. In fact, your nights are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You're getting less and less sleep, less and less rest. Recently went to the doctor for health problems. They came out of nowhere And he recommended some different things to me, but the thing that he emphasized the most was, you need to rest, man. Like you're you're trying to do too much. You got too much going on and stress is breaking down your body. You have to learn how to rest. I know this is a long ramp, on ramp, or uh, you know, warm up to the the message here, but it is important. And you'll see why as we get into the text today. The last thing by way of introduction is uh, just to recall that one of the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten that God gave Israel was to rest. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 said, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest day to the Lord your God. Now listen to how he emphasizes this. 
On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. This is the Ten Commandments. God's like really elaborating. This is, I think, this is the longest commandment that God gives. The longest of the Ten Commandments. But to me, what's fascinating is the rationale. Listen to why God told the people to rest in verse 15. This is Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why? Because they were slaves. And when you're a slave, you don't get to rest. But now that you've been bought and redeemed, we're going back to God's design. And you're going to get to rest. And that brings us to the book of Kings. And you can, you can turn back to that book with me. And on your way to 1 Kings chapter 12, stop in chapter 5. Because from the, in the opening chapters of this book, there is a huge theme and emphasis on the topic of rest. And that's very important for us because the book of Kings was written to explain how you lost your rest. The book of Kings was written when the nation was in exile in Babylon and they're slaves once again. Wait a minute, we had rest. What happened? And so the writer of Kings is, is reminding them of their history under the reign of Solomon. He said, you had so much rest when Solomon was king. Look at 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4. But now the Lord my God, this is Solomon speaking, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor, nor, neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Turn to chapter 8. So Solomon says, God has given us rest. That's why he had time to build the temple because he wasn't off fighting wars. And so he has time to build the temple in chapter 8 now, verse 54. Find it in your Bible there. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer of dedication, he was dedicating the temple, he finishes offering the prayer and the plea to the Lord. He arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. This was God's plan. This was God's uh, purpose that he spoke from Moses, I will give you rest. He says, and God kept that promise and gave his people rest. You may remember Joseph uh, talking about Solomon's name. Solomon's name literally means peace, which is related to rest. When you have peace on all sides, 
there's rest from war. Solomon's name even means peace. It means rest. So I want to go back to our opening question. How do we find rest and peace for our bodies, our souls, our hearts, our minds, our church, our country that is in great need of rest? How do we find it? There's a great need that we have. And the good news is that today in this story, we will discover the answer that Scripture gives us. How do you find rest for your souls? How do you find the rest that you so desperately need? So in 1 Kings chapter 12, the text that was read for you today, we are coming into the, the transition after Solomon has died. Solomon, arguably, well, he, he's one of the greatest kings of Israel, certainly not the greatest, but greatest in terms of wisdom and wealth and power and influence. And his life uh, was ended at the end of chapter 11, and now we're coming into his successor, his son named Rehoboam. And the first thing that we're going to see in this story is a way not to find rest. So we're going to see two ways, as the text tells us today in this story about Rehoboam and Jeroboam, two ways that we do not find rest. And the first way that we do not find rest is through speaking harshly to others. This will lead to division and strife and war. And so the story opens that Israel and Jeroboam, and they all gather together to make Rehoboam king. But they say, you know, if we're going to serve you, we want to know what's it going to be like to serve under your reign. And in verse four, the people ask for rest. Look at verse four. They're looking for rest. Your father made our yoke heavy. This is Israel coming to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. So he's what are they saying? It has been hard serving under Solomon. He made us work like slaves. We are in need of rest. Will you give that to us? And Rehoboam foolishly says, absolutely not. In verse 13, he answers them harshly. Look at verse 13. I'll back up to verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people. How did he answer? Harshly. Harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. This was a very prideful thing for him to do. He doesn't listen to the people. Verse 15 makes that clear. Verse 15 says, so the king did not listen to the people. So he's being prideful. He's not listening. He's speaking harshly. He's not compassionate towards them. They came saying, we have been we have been under this burden. We have felt like slaves under Solomon. 
Our yoke has been heavy. Will you lighten our yoke? They're crying out for rest. He has no compassion. No compassion. And he doesn't listen to the counsel of the old men. Look in verse 7. And they said to him, this is the counsel the old men gave Rehoboam. The old men said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and just serve them and speak good words to them. When you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. You will have peace. You will have rest in your kingdom. You will serve them. They will serve you. It's a win-win situation, Rehoboam. You wouldn't have it. He disregards their counsel. Once again, a very prideful thing to do. So Rehoboam, we see that he leads with harshness and pride. And that does not lead to rest. Look at the way the people answer him. The people answer him in return very harshly in verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, well, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. What are they saying? We have no inheritance with you. You're on your own, David. We quit. You're fired. They fired the king. (laughs) At this point, they go on a permanent strike. If you ever seen a strike, now there's no rest and there's a lot of strife. And there's a strike. They say, we quit. We're out. And they did that in a very harsh way. We have no portion with you. We want nothing to do with you and your inheritance. Now, this term inheritance is a, is a key term here. It's a inheritance is a future reward and a blessing that a person would receive. And it's a very important theme in the Bible. When Abraham died, it was Isaac that inherited the blessing. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And if you remember the, the story, Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright and the inheritance of the firstborn son. Now let's think about David's inheritance. What did God promise David? God promised David that one of his sons would inherit the entire earth and that one of his sons would rule over all the nations of the earth. One of his sons would become in a... uh, would rule over all and give people rest forever. But Israel, in the heat of the moment, says we want nothing to do with this inheritance. In the heat of the moment. This is a very serious thing. And it reminds us all that we must be careful what we're saying in the heat of the moment. We might say things that cost us dearly or that we regret or that tear relationships or families apart, as we see in this case. So Rehoboam leads with harshness. The people respond with harshness, and there is no rest. If you turn over a couple of uh, chapters, and if you look at chapter 14, verse 30, I'll back up to verse 29. It says, Now the rest 
let you get there with me. Chapter 14, verse 29. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Why? Because of pride. Because of their harshness and the way they treated one another. And for those of you with a keen eye and if you were listening carefully, you know that it's not only because of these, the sins of these men. But if you look back in chapter 12, it tells us in verse 15, the king did not listen to the people. Why? For it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. This was to fulfill a prophecy that God had given Jeroboam back in chapter 11. We'll look at that in a minute. But in the beginning here, we see that these relationships and the harshness there and the pride of these men did not lead to rest. And yes, it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, but God was working sovereignly through the sin of these men. These are, these are treating people in these ways will never lead to rest. Secondly, we see that pride does not lead to rest. There's more pride in this story. Look at chapter 12, verse 26. Chapter 12, verse 26. In chapter 12, verse 26, it says that Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. And it turns out that he's afraid of this. He's afraid of his kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, going back and, and being restored to, to Judah. But we have to understand that this is a, a, a prideful thing for him to do at this point. See, pride does not lead to rest. We're going to make three observations about pride as we go along here. First of all, that pride does not trust the word of God. We see that Jeroboam is concerned that he's going to lose the kingdom. But what we need to see is that he is failing to trust the word of God. Look back at chapter 11 with me. Chapter 11, verse 28. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment and the two, two of the men were alone in the open country. And then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes. So God promised him to give him 10 tribes. Furthermore, 
God promises to strengthen and establish his kingdom. Look at verse 38. And if you will continue, if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David, as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. So he promises him 10 tribes and he says, if you will walk faithfully and be obedient, I will protect you and I will make you your house sure and firm and established. Furthermore, God showed that he had the ability to keep that promise. Look at verse 21 of chapter 12. Chapter 20 or chapter 12, verse 21. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Now, keep in mind what just happened in the story was they had a falling out. The kingdom divided. Okay, so the first thing Rehoboam does is said, I'm going to reunite the kingdom. So he assembles all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So Rehoboam says, I know what I'll do. These guys don't want to serve me. Well, I'll go and I'll force them to serve me. I'll start a fight. I'll conquer them and I'll make them serve me. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. And they listened to the word of the Lord and they went home again according to the word of the Lord. So God not only promises Jeroboam that he's going to give him his kingdom, but he proves to him and demonstrates here that at a single word, God can stop a war from happening. So what does Jeroboam need to do at this point? Trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Go back to his promises. Believe in his word. All will be well. But what does he do instead? And we saw that in verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom is going to go back to David. He's afraid. So he didn't trust the word of God. And again, we're looking at these observations about pride. Pride doesn't trust the word of God. Secondly, pride makes assumptions that are based on fear. Look at verses 26 and 27. So Jeroboam said that they're going to go back to the house of David. Verse 27. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he doesn't trust the word of God. He doesn't have faith in the word of God. And so what does he have that replaces that in his heart is fear. See that? No faith. You get fear. Next, we see that pride redefines the the rules of worship. And I want you to understand that why I'm I'm going down this road and why I'm talking about his pride is that we're going to see that pride does not ever lead to rest. So pride redefines the rules of worship. 
First of all, he says, I'm going to make a new God in verses 28 to 30. Look at that. So the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and he put one in Dan. And it became a sin because people started worshiping these calves. So he redefines the rules of worship. He has a new God. Then he has new places of worship. Look at verse 31. He also made temples on high places. God said, when you come to worship me, bring your offerings to one altar. The altar at the temple in Jerusalem. This guy redefines the places of worship. He says, no, you can worship at any of these places that I have made. So he has a new place of worship. And then he gets some new worship leaders. 31b. He made temples on the high places, any appointed priests among all the people who were not of the Levites. Who are the Levites? They are the God-ordained priests of the people. And this guy says, forget the Levites. We're going to have our own priesthood. We're going to reassign the, the, the worship leader responsibility. And in the book of Chronicles, we learned that all the Levites ended up just kind of flooding out of all these, the, the ten northern tribes, and they all go back to Judah. Because at least at Judah, you could still be a Levite and serve in the temple. And lastly, we see that he, in his pride, redefines or he appoints a new feast. In verse 32, this is going to be key as we go on today. Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month. Pay careful attention to this. Like the feast... That was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. And I want you to see the emphasis on working here. This guy is working, working, working. Look at this. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Because he departed from the Lord, he's having to make and make and make and work and work and work. Here's the conclusion of this section here. Pride elevates man above God. It says there in verse... 33 that he went up to the altar that he made in Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month in the month that he devised from his own heart these things came from his own heart he elevated his own reason he elevated himself above the word of God that is the sin of pride and my question related to today's topic is did these things lead to rest? Yes or no? Did his pride lead to rest? And I would say that the author of First Kings here is strongly suggesting that the things that Jeroboam did did not lead to rest in the least. There are echoes of the Exodus narrative here. Go back there in the verses that we were just looking at. 
Look at verse 28. The king took counsel. He made two calves of gold, said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Where have we heard that? In Exodus 32, Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. He was gone for about a month. The people, uh, they gathered together and they said, what happened to Moses? Where'd he go? Well, we want to go back to Egypt anyway. And so they asked Aaron to make them a god to lead them back to Egypt. So Aaron collects all the gold earrings and the nose rings of the people and he melts it down. He makes this golden calf and the people come up and they bow down before the calf and they said, look, Israel, here are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. This is word for word what the people said back in Exodus. What do you think the writer is communicating? Hey guys, you're on your way back to slavery right now. This isn't going to give you rest. You had rest under Solomon's reign. But now you're going back from the place that you came. He recreates the calves that brought God's judgment on the people in Egypt. Then he disregards the office of the priesthood. And if you remember, the Levites became the priests that same time. Moses comes down from the mountain. They're worshiping the golden calf. Moses said, I can't believe this. Who is on the Lord's side? And if you remember, who came to Moses and helped Moses execute judgment on the people? It was the Levites. That was when the Levites were installed as priests. So again, back to that same story in the book of Exodus. We have the golden calf being worshipped. We have the Levites being removed from their responsibility. And then here's the the last one and the one that we're going to use to transition into the rest of our time. Is that he devises a feast to replace a certain feast of the Jews. Look again at verse 32. It says, Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. So what feast would he have been talking about? What feast was this similar to? Turn with me back to Leviticus 23. And we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about these different feasts of the Jews. And which feast he replaced. When you look in Exodus, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 23, and you look at verse 39, it says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. Now, this is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the final feast of the Jews in their year. They had several feasts beginning with the Passover feast in the first month. This is a little over halfway through the Jewish calendar year, and they have this the Feast of Tabernacles. And what we're going to see here as we look at this is that within the Feast of Tabernacles, there is an emphasis on rest. 
And so what's ironic here is that the, the feast that this guy replaces, he makes up his own feast in the eighth month on the 15th day, one month after the Feast of Tabernacles. And he makes this feast to replace the feast that emphasizes rest. So we're going to see that the things that Jeroboam did do not lead to rest, but very much the opposite. They're going to lead to slavery and death. Leviticus 23. So in this chapter, this is, this is a great chapter, by the way. If you want some homework for this week, study Leviticus 23. It has all of the Jewish feasts lists succinctly in order. It doesn't go into all the details of every feast, but it does tell you about every feast. Okay, so you can kind of see from the overview of the feast and you can get an idea of like, why did God have these feasts built into their calendar year? And you'll notice in Leviticus 23, look at the way it starts. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. This is verse one, Leviticus 23, one. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. So the next thing we would expect to see is God to start talking about the feasts. But what does he talk about first? Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So before he ever starts talking about the feasts, he reminds them about the weekly Sabbath. And he's like, hey, remember this rest. In fact, that's what really all of these feasts are about. In one way or another was taking a break from all of the work that you do and resting. Now, what was the first feast about? I think this is interesting to look at the bookends of the feasts. So the first feast is the feast of the Passover. What's the emphasis on the Passover? Look in verse four. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the same time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. Now, he doesn't go into detail here about the Passover, but what happened on the day of Passover? They would sacrifice a lamb. So notice how God opens up these feasts. He starts by talking about rest and the Sabbath day, and then he goes to the lamb. He talks about the lamb. Now, as we drop down, we see things like in verse 9, the feast of the first fruits, which is the, uh, the, the, the Pentecost feast in the New Testament. Same thing. Then the Feast of Weeks. Now the Feast of Trumpets, the the Feast of Trumpets in verse 23 and 25, those verses talk about the Feast of Trumpets, which at the beginning of the seventh month, interesting, the seventh month, (laughs) the month of rest, you might say, they were to blow the trumpet and say, okay, this is the start of the seventh month. This is a big deal because what's coming in the seventh month is the Day of Atonement where there would be a lamb offered for the sin of the nation, followed by the Feast of Tabernacles. And when we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, there's an emphasis on rest. I'll show you that. Look at verse verse 33. 
The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days. Listen to all the sevens as we go here, okay? Seventh month. For seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall rest. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord the food offerings, etc. Besides, verse 38 says, besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings. Verse 39 He's going back now to the Feast of Tabernacles. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feasts of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. And on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, (laughs) branches of palm trees and and boughs, leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the emphasis about the Feast of Tabernacles is on rest. But I want you to see some more of the details of this feast because this is where I think it's just amazing and it leads us to the place where we find rest today. It's not in our pride. It's not in ourselves. Go back to or turn with me over now to Numbers chapter 29. Numbers chapter 29. In Numbers chapter 29, we're going to see that the details of the Feast of Tabernacles spelled out in greater detail. And look at what it says here on verse 12. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. And I want us to pay attention to the offerings here that are made, okay? Stay with me here. Verse 13. You shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls from the herd, two rams, fourteen male lambs a year old. They shall all be without blemish. Grain offerings. And then in verse 16, it says, also one male goat for a sin offering. So 13 bulls, 14 lambs. 14 lambs. And a, and a, two rams and a, 
and a male goat for a sin offering. Okay, look at verse 17 now. On the second day, how many bulls? 12 bulls. Okay, so one less. One less. On the second day, 12 bulls from the herd, two rams, 14 lambs. He goes on about the grain. Verse 19 says, one male goat for the sin offering. So the number of bulls went down by one. (laughs) Stay with me here. (laughs) The number of bulls goes down by one, but the number of lambs stays the same. The number of rams stays the same. The sin offering stays the same. Look at verse 20. On the third day, not 12, but 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, and a male goat for the sin offering. So the only thing that's getting changed up here is the number of bulls. You're dropping by one every single day. Look at verse 23. On the fourth day, 10 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. Verse 25, and one male goat for the sin offering. So again, the number of bulls is dropping by one. Everything else stays the same. Everything else stays the same. Number 26, verse 26. On the fifth day, nine bulls. Everything else stays the same. Verse 29, on the sixth day, eight bulls. Everything else stays the same. Verse 32, on the seventh day, seven bulls. Everything else stays the same. Now on the eighth day, that's that's the last day of the feast, right? The eighth day. How many bulls do you think? Now, before you answer that, (laughs) quickly, verse 17, 12 bulls. Verse 20, 11. Verse 23, 10. Verse 26, 9. Verse 29, 8. Verse 32, 7. How many bulls on the last day? You would think six, right? And you would think, okay, if the pattern stays the same, you can have six bulls, everything else is going to stay the same. That fits the pattern, right? But look what happens. On the eighth day, this is verse 36. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull. Hmm. One ram. One ram. Seven male lambs. A year old without blemish. And the grain offering, the drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for the sin offering. So you would expect to see the number of bulls go to six, but instead it goes to one. The number of rams drops down to one. What, what's being elevated here? The lambs. The perfect number of lambs. How did the Jewish festivals begin? It begins with the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest, and the Passover lamb. That's how all of the, at the beginning of the year, that's what they're su- supposed to start thinking about and focusing on and refocusing on and remembering about their history. Is that you have rest through the lamb. What does it come down to in this last feast that emphasizes rest? You get rest through the Lamb. The feasts start out with rest and the Passover Lamb, they end with an emphasis on rest. What is the meaning here? Why does God do this in these feasts? Why on the last day when you would expect 
the bulls to drop to six, and, but the lamb to be like what's flashing and blinking lights here. The lamb, the lamb, the lamb will give you rest. I believe that's the message that God is wanting us to get through the feasts. And when Jeroboam changed the feasts, and he changed the prescribed order of worship, he took the people away from rest. He took people away from the Lamb. And he took them into slavery, into bondage. Our pride never leads to rest. Only to turmoil. Think about the steps of Jeroboam's pride. It began with failing to trust the Word of God. He had no faith in the Word of God, so then he was left with fear. From fear, he went to, not back to God, but he turned to idols. And from idols, he went to redefining worship. And from redefining worship, he went back into slavery and he took the whole nation with him into slavery and sin and judgment and death. I just want to know if you see that pattern in your own life. Are you taking your eyes off of the word of God? And when you do that, do you find that fear begins to take over and anxiety and turmoil? And when you're in that place, what idols are you turning to? And you need to stop and consider that you are no longer worshiping the God that brought you and bought you out of slavery at that point. But where do we find rest? We find rest in the Lamb. It's always been that way. It's what all the feasts were pointing to. That's what they forfeited in 1 Kings chapter 12. They forfeited their rest in the Lamb by being harsh, by being prideful. In John chapter 1 verse 29, you can write this reference down. Listen to this. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And listen to what that Lamb said in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. Listen to the Lamb of God. Listen to what he said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Think about Rehoboam, harsh, proud. Think about Jeroboam, prideful. Look at what Jesus says about himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. What did that pride, what did that harshness do to the kingdom? It tore it apart. What does Jesus do through his meekness and his kindness and his gentleness, but unite and heal and save? Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly heart. I'm not like the kings of the past. You will find rest for your souls and you need that rest. You need it. You need to admit that. You need to stop finding rest in all of these other places that we look for. All the idols. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Go to Luke chapter 10 with me, please. Jesus, he longs to give you rest, Central Baptist Church, friends, visitors, even if you're not a Christian today, Jesus longs to give you rest. He's standing here with open arms today, but you have to come to Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him teaching. That's a position of rest, isn't it? She's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, this lady named Mary, sitting at his feet, resting. But Martha, she's distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. We will have no portion with you, son of David. Mary has chosen the good portion. And this will not be taken away from her. Are you a Mary or a Martha? Are you worried and anxious and troubled about many things? Are you stressed out? Are you anxious? Or are you keeping your eyes on the Lamb who will give you rest? It's a good indication of whether or not you're keeping your eyes on Jesus. Are you finding rest for your souls or not? What does it look like for us to sit at the feet of Jesus? We don't have Jesus in person, right? We can't just go sit at his feet. But you know what we have is his word. Listen to Psalm 149, 147, 19 and 20. Write that reference down if you will. Psalm 147, 19 and 20. Listen to this. He declares his word to Jacob his statutes and his rules to Israel. He has not dealt like this with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Do you see what the psalm writer is saying? It's saying that God has given his rules and his statutes and his word to his people. Well, he hasn't treated everybody like this, but he treated you like this. What a privilege, what an honor that you have the Word of God and that through the Word of God, you can come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, stop looking at your Bible times, at your morning devotion times, like it's a, a task that you dread to do. Oh, it's a big sacrifice for you to make to spend an hour with Jesus and sit at His feet in the morning. Stop thinking about it like that. Think about it more like spending time with your dearest friend in the world. You know, there's that person in your life who comes to mind your dearest friend, your best friend. Why are they your best friend? Because they love you. They support you. They encourage you. They will call sin out in you. 
but they will pray for you and they will speak the Word of God to you. And after you are with that person, it will strengthen you. It will revive you. That is what it's like to have time sitting at the feet of Jesus. This, this last uh, Friday, I was stressed out. I got up. I'm just trying to keep up with the pace of life. I had an elder retreat with uh, Joseph and Carson. I got up that morning. I was like, okay, I didn't get enough sleep last night. That's pretty obvious. But yeah, I, I got to get some exercise. So I go out and I run, you know, I run a few miles. I come back. I'm like, okay, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta drink my, uh, my, 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 my green smoothie. That's what's really going to keep me going today. So I'm, I'm making my green smoothie. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be late. Joseph Carson, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be late. Stress, stress, stress. Oh, just, just, just trying to get to the meeting, right? I get to the meeting. I'm stressed. I told the guys, I was like, man, I'm feeling stressed. And it's not just being late today. It's like all these things going on in my life. And they just listen. And they encourage me and they pray for me. And throughout the day, they just encourage me and it revived me. And by the end of that day, I felt so lighthearted, so encouraged, so supported. I felt like I had rested by spending time with these brothers. That is what it should be like when we spend time with the Word of God. You're spending time with your dearest friend and it is building you up. It is strengthening you. Guys, Jesus is so big. He is so great. He's so awesome. He is so strong that when you get close to that power source, it just strengthens. It revives. It lifts us up to soar on the wings of eagles. You can go crawling into your quiet time, but you can come running out of that thing like an Olympic athlete. Because you found rest. I want to give you all a, a resource to find rest. And I'll just hold it up real quick here. Um, it's a book called Taking Time to Quiet Your Soul. And the whole premise of the book is Jesus' invitation. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this came highly recommended to me from the uh, biblical counseling uh, leader over at Summit Woods Baptist Church in Lee Summit. And so on his recommendation, I've started working through this book with Nolan. And I am telling you, this has helped me to sit at the feet of Jesus. It has a, a series of uh, like lectures recorded. I'll just send you the lectures. You can listen to and work through this book. And it just helps you to enter into the presence of God. Taking time to quiet your soul. See, brothers and sisters, many people think they cannot come to Jesus. I've got too much to do. I'm too guilty. I'm too afraid. I hear people say, I'm alone. I'm afraid to be alone with my thoughts. I'm not asking to be alone with your thoughts. I'm asking you to be with Jesus and your thoughts and to give those things, those burdens to him. See, my concern as we're wrapping up today is that you're going to look for rest in the wrong places and that will destroy you. You will pay the price if you look for rest in the wrong places. Rest is a gift of God's grace that He gives us through the Gospel. True rest is rest from what? Not people, not just circumstances. It's rest from sin.
Just my final thoughts here today are to close by taking a survey of the kings of Israel to see which one can give us true rest. You know, the first king of Israel was a guy named what? Saul. God gave Saul to teach that you need to be careful when you ask for a king. The people said, we want a king, we want a king. God said, all right, I'll give you a king. He wasn't a good king, he wasn't a righteous king. God was teaching his people, be careful when you ask for a king. Second king, King David, what did David do? He pointed to the true and the greatest king. Then he gave Solomon to show that you can have everything that this world has to offer and still lack the one thing that will give you rest. Then he gave Rehoboam to show that a harsh king will divide the kingdom. Rehoboam spoke harshly at bread strife and led to war. And then he gave Jeroboam to show that sin always leads to slavery, not freedom and rest. But again, brothers and sisters, listen to the words of Christ. Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden. If you need rest today, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Please come to Jesus as we sing this song. As Jordan and the team, you guys can come on up. As we sing this song today, come to Jesus. Take from me, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly. He's not somebody that you need to be afraid to approach. Even though he's God Almighty, he's gentle as a lamb. You can come to Jesus. I'm gentle and lowly. I will give you rest. I purchased your rest when I died on the cross for your sins. Christ can give you rest today. Will you come to him? Father, thank you for this day and this time. I pray that your people would come to you and they would find rest for their souls. Anyone who is anxious and weary and heavy laden and burdened and they have no idea where they're going to find the strength to get through this next week. God, would you give them rest today? Would you comfort their hearts? Would you let them know that they have drawn near to you? You will draw near to them and give them what they need. And God, I pray that it would not just be for this next week, but for the rest of our lives that we will continually come to the Lamb for rest. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.